0: You're listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We rely on the financial support of listeners like yourself to keep going. If you'd like to support diverse voices on your radio, go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Stay tuned to hear the rest of your 3CR podcast. Evil minds plot destruction Listen to the Anarchist Woolless Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist Woolless Week, broadcast across Australia. Courtesy of the Community Radio Network, uh, broadcast around the world via the net, 3cr.org.au, broadcasting from the studios of uh, 3CR in a Melbourne town. My name is Joseph Descone. I'm hosting uh, today's program. We're looking at a lot of different issues. Sometimes I wonder, why do I come in here and look at these four blank walls and talk to myself? And then I think... You know, we do live in a society in Australia full of uh, cringing, carping consumers. You know, we seem to be stuck on this consumer merry-go-round. And obviously, I come in here because not because I want to listen to the sound of my voice, because I can do that any time I like, but I come in here basically to encourage you to get involved uh, in uh, various uh, campaigns and issues, or initiate campaigns and issues. To assist people and yourself to create an egalitarian community A community based on uh, equal power and equal wages So it's a simple concept, it's about, and that's what anarchism is all about It's about an anarchists without rulers It's about creating a society without rulers What creates society? As you know, it's inequalities in power and wealth So if you are involved in that struggle to equalise power and wealth Then whether you like it or not, whether you know it or not you are involved in that anarchist struggle. And that's what the anarchist world is about. It's about encouraging you to take action because, you know, they don't care how many times you click on the internet or how many YouTube presentations you do or how many tweets you send. All they care about is when you start muscling in on their territory. And that territory is parliamentary democracy. That territory is electing representatives to parliament, when you start moving into that area and start having a little bit of impact in that area, well, then they get a little bit concerned. And that's what public interest before corporate interest was all about. It's about creating a political alternative or a political option. Not an alternative, not an alternative. It's a political option for people who are interested in uh Putting the interests of the many, which is the public, before the interests of the few, the corporate sector, and people to work together in order to change attitudes, laws, uh, culture, and the way you know we function as a society. So, if you are interested in that particular struggle, I do encourage you to join public interest before corporate interest, not just a political party, but also a group of people involved in everyday struggles to change society in a way where we um, devolve power, which means shares power and uh, share wealth. So what are we going to look at today? Well, there's a lot of things we're going to look at today. But I'd just like to um, start off with the panic Big P, panic around the world regarding the uh, spread of the coronavirus and uh, the possibility of a pandemic. Because it is very hard to contain a new disease, especially when there's no resistance in the community to that new disease. And although although the death rate uh, is relatively small, between 1% and 2%, it can have a major impact on society. And we are seeing a major impact on society, not just in terms of um, people being isolated and the panic around that and the increased pressure on medical facilities and medical services, especially in parts of the world where those services are minimal or uh, non-existent even in many parts of the so-called first world, where public hospitals have been underfunded, grossly underfunded for uh, generations. But I think what this virus has actually done is highlighted the pitfalls of globalisation, especially just-in-time globalisation. Because what we are seeing is with the shutdown of um, bits and pieces of industry around China, what we are seeing, that global infrastructure which ensures that uh, parts which are manufactured then flow across to other parts of the world to create goods which are sold – is breaking down. Because a number of decades ago, manufacturing changed, and it changed radically. It changed in terms of trying to find the cheapest labour forces to manufacture parts and then assemble products in other parts of the world. And in order to save money and to save costs and storage, the just-in-time manufacturing concept was invented and implemented. What that means is that each, you know a major manufacturing centre may have maybe, say, two or three days' supplies. So if the source of your supplies dries up, everything grinds to a halt. So it's quite likely that we will see people stood down, especially in industries which rely on imported products, especially the construction industry that in you know, in 2020 will shut down and uh, people will lose their jobs in some cases temporarily, in some cases long term. So what I think this highlights is the pitfalls of globalization. Because not only does globalisation contribute to the increased carbon footprint, where we see food which is produced in one part of the world sold in another part of the world and we see products flooding our supermarket, well, their supermarket shelves, it's not our supermarket shelves, coming from all parts of the world, although we produce these products locally, what we are seeing... Is the pitfalls of relying on a global economy. So I think what this highlights to a large degree, especially what the coronavirus has highlighted, is the fact that the idea of localization, the idea of self sufficiency, the idea that producing goods and services locally to satisfy local demand and then exporting excess is a very efficient and safe way to run an economy and look after people in a particular geographical region. So localism could be the actual winner in this situation. Because to rely on a global network which can be sabotaged in various ways and have global impacts as we saw with the global financial crisis, you know, the global financial crisis, again, the global financial crisis almost a decade ago, highlighted the dangers of having a globalised financial sector. And what we are seeing with the coronavirus uh, pandemic what we are seeing and what we will see is the same shortfalls as far as manufacturing goods and and providing services concerned so i think that will be after this crisis passes and it will pass i think what we'll see is an increased emphasis on local production, because one thing Australia has done for successive governments during the past four decades is actually destroy local production in favour of global production and globalisation. So there are major pitfalls here, not only in terms of providing goods and services, but in terms of employment, in terms of security... There are many issues that we need to look at and especially in terms of increased CO2 emissions and uh, our our, uh, footprint, our little footprint, our little greenhouse footprint as globalisation becomes the major method via which goods and services are actually provided. We see it in the education sector in Australia. With the globalisation of the education sector, uh, it's causing major issues in uh, education, not just in the private sector, but the public sector, as the public universities and some public schools have now become dependent on the money brought in by overseas students, where education becomes another commodity. So, local production, self sufficiency becomes the new mantra in a society which will be held hostage over and over and over again through globalisation where local needs are met by overseas production. So think about it. You know, there's always a silver lining to every cloud, and if there is one silver lining to every cloud, it's uh, the fact that uh, localization is now becoming a, a new economic force. Initially, by people who felt that uh, you know your a footprint, your greenhouse footprint needed to be addressed. Because every time you know a one dollar can of uh, tomato comes from uh, Italy and lands on your supermarket shelf, you've got to think of its uh, the greenhouse um, footprint involved in importing that can. So localization, as opposed to globalization, the regrowth of local production to satisfy local needs, and then exporting excess to the rest of the world. Listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on (laughs) 3cr.org.au. It's hard to believe. It is really hard to believe that we're living in 2020. When the Australian Labor Party, well, really the alternative Liberal Party, puts out a little submission that they want to have zero emissions by 2050. All hell hell breaks loose on Parliamentary Hill down in Canberra Town. All hell breaks loose. And we see supposedly intelligent adults who've been elected by the people of this country tell us it's a silly idea. It's a silly idea It's a silly idea to tackle CO2 emissions. It's such a silly idea. And we see sections of the agribusiness party masquerading as the national party, whatever they call themselves these days, the old country Liberal Party, frothing at the mouth, frothing at the mouth, at the idea that we should do something about increasing CO2 emissions. And we see the has-beens of the agribusiness party, the National Party, you know, go into contortions, convulse publicly regarding our ability to uh, actually look at the problem of increasing C2 emissions especially when you consider we had uh, some of the worst fires we've seen in this country for uh, decades if not over a century just a few weeks ago it's as if they never occurred it's as if the 3,500 houses never burnt down it's as if the millions of acres or hectares of land wasn't destroyed it's as if Vast sections of regional Australia weren't laid waste. You've really got to think about it. I mean, who are they working for? And the key is the National Party is not working for country people. It is not working for the rural sector. It is not working for regional towns and regional Australia. It is working for agribusiness. Because the same corporate forces which are driving small business to the wall in this country have been at work and continue to be at work in the agricultural sector. Think about it. When you go to a major shopping centre, what do you see? The same brand names, the same corporations dominating business activity, whether it's fast food, whether it's pets, whether it's hardware, clothing, food distribution, and the list goes on and on. The same corporations. We see the creeping of the corporate sector into the medical field. Over 80% of all radiological Facilities in this country are now owned by three large corporations. Over 50% of general practices are owned by four or five large corporations. The nursing home sector has been completely um, corporatized. The preschool sector, the early learning sector, again corporatized. Initially you have some small businesses move in then the corporations realise that there is a superhighway to the Treasury if they provide services which the government partially funds. They immediately muscle in on the area, decrease the amount of service which uh, recipients receive, and the nursing home sector is a classical example of what happens when you corporatise that sector, Screw their staff, maximize return for uh, their shareholders or the individuals who own a particular company. So, again, we see what happens when you open up your borders and don't look after the interests of small business in this country. And it's really laughable when I hear the Liberal Party crap on about small business being the engine room of the Australian economy and then allow the corporate sector to dominate every aspect of economic activity in this country. And what's even more laughable is when I see small business interests believing the liberal national party the liberal agri business party is their party and it looks after their interests i mean small business and especially micro businesses and there are more and more micro businesses as the gig economy takes over the 19th century economy takes over that you've just got you've got you get to a situation where people really need to look at exactly who is looking after their interests. And if they think that these parties are looking after their interests, think again. What we have seen in Australia over the last 40 years is the domination of the parliamentary agenda, not by the needs of people living in this country, whether they're permanent residents or citizens, but the needs... Of corporations to increase their profits at the expense of the local community. listen to the anarchist will this week broadcast across Australia by the community radio network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast you can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au Energy sources. Green capitalism. Now, capitalism is capitalism, whether it's green or whether it's non-green. And what we've seen with the so-called green revolution is the domination, and again by corporations to a significant degree, that are based on the concept of of increasing profits for their major shareholders. Whether it's green capitalism or ordinary capitalism, it doesn't really matter who's got their foot on your throat. At the end of the day, it's not the colour of the boot, it's the fact there is a boot on your throat. And I find it uh, quite distressing to see many of the ideas that need to be implemented in order to tackle the climate the climate emergency we are in actually being dominated by the private sector i'll give you a simple example this is this is so ludicrous it is just so ludicrous now with the privatization of energy now energy access to energy is fundamental to life in a post industrial society fundamental You couldn't hear me broadcast if there wasn't, you know, electricity. You couldn't do 99% of the things you do if there was no energy. You couldn't even pump petrol out of a bloody service station pump. You couldn't use your automatic telemachine and get your money out. You couldn't. There is just so much that you can't do. So energy is a critical component of of our society. So what do we do? We privatise it. We give the private sector control over the production of energy, over the transmission of energy, over the distribution of energy, over the sale of energy. And we break up a whole system which is owned by the state which provides security to everybody in that society by a hodgepodge of privately owned corporations who dominate various aspects of the energy market. For example, today, the green capitalists are complaining. They're complaining... They're producing lots of energy and they can't get that energy onto the grid. And why can't they get energy on the grid? Because the grid, the transmission lines, are actually owned by another private corporation, which to a large degree is owned by people who have investments in coal. So we see this constant conflict and we see energy prices skyrocket because everybody gets a cut. The producers gets a cut. The people who own the transmission lines gets a cut. The people who distribute it gets a cut. Those who provide the energy directly to you get a cut. And you pay for all that. So it was wrong with having an essential service, the production of energy, owned, managed, through the state apparatus, by the people of this country. Where if there are any profits which were made, they could be actually ploughed back into improving the system or could go into consolidated revenue. I'll give you another example. When Mr Howard was uh, Prime Minister, he thought a good way to actually make a bit of money is to sell off all the airports. And the airports were sold off. Okay? Now, anybody... Who uses an airport, and most Australians will be using an airport at some time during the next during the year. Right. Most Australians have a bit of a complaint about this and that. But I'll give you an example. Now Melbourne Airport has just put out its profit figures. It made five hundred and seventy one point nine million dollar profit last year. That's right. Five hundred and seventy one point nine million dollar profit which goes back to the shareholders or the owners of Melbourne Airport, okay? Now, if Melbourne Airport was still publicly owned, that profit could go into consolidated revenue to provide much-needed services, or that profit could be ploughed back into improving the airport. So what's this... You know, this this this, this thing about privatisation that somehow it produces a better result than a publicly owned facility. Because at the end of the day, a privately owned facility not only needs to provide a service, it needs to provide a profit. It needs to provide a profit. Think about it. Give you another example. The word cross subsidisation. Big word 30 or 40 years ago, doesn't exist today. What does cross subsidisation mean? Cross subsidisation means that profitable parts of a service. That profit is used to assist non-profitable parts of a service, people who need essential services. So to a significant degree, the people who actually benefited through cross-subsidisation were people who lived in rural and regional Australia, where profits which were made in urban centres were then used to provide that service to regional Australia. And the tragedy is that it's regional Australia, to a significant degree, which continues to support legislation which destroys cross-subsidisation, and that is privatisation, because private companies are not interested in providing services to areas which are not profitable. (laughs) That's... You don't do that. And especially in the essential services category, energy, water, energy and water, especially in those areas where cross-subsidisation is necessary in a country as big as Australia to ensure that everybody receives access to these essential services. It's not happening. So no wonder costs are skyrocketing while wages remain frozen. Think about it. Think about the cost we are now paying for selling the family silver, for selling the castle. We may have the uh, title, but we don't have the resources anymore because successive governments have given away those Resources and an ideological whim to privately owned companies and corporations. So you lose at a number of levels. You lose on the level of providing services to all Australians through the idea of cross-subsidisation. Profitable parts of one of the same industry is used to subsidise areas which need that essential service which are not profitable. Simple. You lose the capacity to create a profit and then plough that profit back into the hands of the people who need it, not into some private corporation, not into the pockets of some shareholder somewhere overseas or locally. It's just extraordinary. And you wonder, and I'd like to move on to this, you wonder why mental health is becoming such a major issue in this country. You talk about a pandemic of coronavirus. We have a mental health epidemic in this country. The levels of anxiety among individuals, including primary school children, is soaring. The level of psychological issues which people need to grapple with are soaring. And I'm not talking about, you know, major depressive disorders. I'm not talking about depressive disorders which are genetically linked. I'm talking about. Reactive depression, a depression an anxiety which is directly related to the type of competitive non-caring me society that we have allowed to be created over the past four decades. And that is what I'm talking about. And it's all very well for me to talk airy-fairy about cross-subsidisation, privatisation, globalisation, localism, on and on. But the reality is, one of the most consumer-driven societies on the planet, we have once some of the most major mental health issues in this country. And these are mental health issues which affect us every day. And people talk about, oh, let's put more funding into this, more funding into service. It is not a matter of services. Obviously, they play a part in it. But you cannot provide these services to an increasing number of people if you don't look at the causes that is pushing people into this reactive anxiety, reactive depressive uh, state that many, many people find themselves in today. I'll give you an example. Let's look at the 30% of Australians who, are on, who need to survive on Social Security benefits. Let's look at them, okay? What's been happening over the last decade? They've been denigrated, humiliated, forced into an illegal robo-debt system, totally illegal, immoral, unethical, illegal system, which is designed to basically harass the poorest people in our society. Then we have, you know, then we have the way people on Newstart are treated. In fact, they're processed by privately owned uh, organisations who are there to make a buck at their expense. Then we have all the pressures of everyday living in terms of meeting financial commitments on a limited wage while costs soar around you. Then we have the drug addiction problems which become part of people trying to some degree to decrease their anxiety. So that's one section of society. No wonder there are mental health issues. No wonder we are seeing quite vicious crimes, especially in families where the stress is the most. Because people living together, having to face these issues every day, of having to go to work, having to go through all the garbage of getting to work two or three hours in public transport or in a car, then coming back, having to face all these issues. No wonder we find that in this section of the community that mental health has become a major issue. Then let's move on to people who are employed. 12 million people in this country are supposedly employed. Many, many in part-time, casual, insecure work where they are being exploited on a daily basis by corporations and employers who know they can get away with underpaying people. Then we have employees staying at work an extra hour or two or working from home or being available constantly, you know, on their mobile phone or through the net for their employers because they can soon... That if they lose their job, they're not going to get another job somewhere and they're mortgaged up to the hilt because of the issues associated with housing affordability in this country. Well, we all think it's wonderful that the median price of a home in major urban centres like Sydney and Melbourne is over a million dollars and the average mortgage is over 500,000 and people are paying 30 to 40 to 50 to 60% of their income on mortgages or rental repayments. Where housing affordability is the central issue, because not only, not only does it soak up so much resources and money which could be spent on consumer consumer items, and no wonder there is no recovery, so-called recovery in the in the retail sector, but all the mental health issues, which are related. To two people in a household having to work full time in order to meet basic repayments. Think of all the stress there. Think of the stress if you've got a $500,000 mortgage and you rely on your job to service that mortgage. Think of the stress involved there and the interpersonal, interfamilial deterioration in relationships and the anxiety related to that and the ways people try to find relief from this constant pressure. You fall back on a repayment and see what happens irrespective of how wonderful you know these companies are. The phone calls, the hassles, the harassment whether it's a phone bill, an electricity bill a rental bill with you know, a mortgage bill. The list goes on and on. Think of the stress involved for that 50 percent of Australians who are involved in the paid workforce, who have all these financial responsibilities at the same time having to look after children. Why do you think there's an increasing rate? of removal of children from families, increasing rates of anxieties within family units, increasing interpersonal disputes and relationships. not all about just about power. It's not all about inequalities and a power relationship between men and women and children. It's about all those extra little bits and pieces, those extra jagged pieces of glass which are dug into people's body on a daily basis in order to make sure they are continue to keep that profit pouring out into the pockets of shareholders at the expense of the rest of the community. Think of that insecurity. Think of that 80 to 90% of Australians who aren't fortunate enough to have any disposable income to take advantage of this country's investor-friendly laws like, you know, negative gearing, you own more than one home, you get a tax deduction, you own shares, you get a gift from the government. Come on. Fairyland garbage. Think of all the stress and how it's internalised. Because most people are not willing to take on the government. They're not willing to see, to take on the system because they know there are consequences. They know there are consequences. Most people put their heads down and try to work themselves out of that situation while their innards rot, their souls dry up. And you wonder why there's so much distress and mental health issues in the community. It doesn't matter how many psychologists you've got out there. It's not going to solve a problem which is directly related to the way we live. And then look at all those increasing number of elderly Australians. Think of the insecurity they have, irrespective of whether they're sitting in a million-dollar home or a $2 million home. Think of the worry of going to a privately owned nursing home sector where you are seen as just another cow to be milked in every cash every cent to be milked out of your body think of the problem of all these self-funded retirees who have got their money you know irrespective of the tax advantages in the stock market because you can't make a buck because interest rates are so low by leaving your money in the bank think of the vagaries of the world stock market coronavirus scare stock market drops three percent in one day Think of the instability and insecurity amongst retirees in this country, especially self-funded retirees who are hostages, hostages to capitalism, hostages to a system that needs to create ever-increasing profits to satisfy its major shareholders. Not mum and dad investors, they're just collateral damage so no wonder we have a mental health issue in our country which has percolated right down through to the smallest of our children. No wonder. And unless we are willing to address these inequalities, we are willing to address these issues as a people, as a nation, and change our way of thinking and stop re-electing the same ignorant idiots, and my apologies to idiots, you don't deserve to be compared to many of our parliamentary representatives, we will continue to suffer the same fate day after day, week after week, year after year. And if you think it's going to change, if you re-elect the same people in two years' time, think again. And that's why five years ago we formed public interest before corporate interest. To give people an option Whether people take up the option or not is up to them but There's no point sitting at home Surfing the net Watching your YouTube Becoming a click activist There's no point sitting in a corner and Feeling depressed and it's all too much Because it's not all too much Because ultimately In a democratic society Ultimate Political authority Rests in an engaged Population So what's there to stop us being engaged? Well, in Australia, there is an elephant in the room. An ugly, demented elephant in the room. And that's the Packer group. That's right. Sorry, not the Packer group. My apologies, Mr Packer. You're into gambling. The Murdoch group. The Murdoch group. Every day, this nest of vipers, and that's all they are, a nest of self-seeking vipers, manipulates, manipulates public opinion on a daily basis, 24 hours a day. This group of self-interested vipers has no interest in Australia All they're interested in is maximising their profits. This is one of the groups of people in this country that pays no tax legally. $14 billion profit. $14 billion no tax. And they do it legally. For example, their news arm Foxtel, that home of half-truths, Foxtel is lent money by another arm of the Murdoch Empire at high interest rates, so they don't make a profit. Extraordinary. Here we have a nest of vipers in our midst that curtails the ability to create change, not radical change, reform, I mean, they were crapping on about having four bins to recycle. Unbelievable. Pays no tax, hasn't paid any tax for decades or minimal tax and continues to manipulate Parliament and parliamentarians, turning its guns on political parties or political groups which may want to introduce some minimal reformist agenda. And then paying no tax. And we allow people like this to dominate thinking in this country. Extraordinary. Extraordinary. In any other country, they would have been evicted years ago. Just extraordinary. And they talk about a free press. Unbelievable. It gets better. And as I said before, I'm not depressed, I'm not even angry, <laughs> I'm disgusted. I'm disgusted, and I'm disgusted for a number of reasons. We have a miserable 25 million people living on a continent, a resource-rich continent. And we have allowed ourselves to be put in this situation because we have, you know, fallen for the bait That globalisation and corporatisation and deregulation and privatisation is the highway to nirvana, the highway to heaven. We have fallen for it, hook, line, and sinker, as a people, and it pains me to see that every day. It pains me. Give you another example. We have some of the one of the most mineral rich countries in this on the planet. Now, do the Australian people own these minerals and resources? Iron ore, coal, diamonds, oil, the list goes on and on. No. They're owned by private corporations. They contributed $280 billion to the Australian economy last year, which is 12% through royalties and a little bit of tax they paid. How many billions of dollars would be going to the public purse if we owned, owned these resources? Theoretically we own these resources, but we give them away at a peppercorn rent for a peppercorn royalty to transnational corporations, some based here, some based overseas, who make a packet by manipulating the system in a legal framework in order to maximise their profits at our expense. Why should 700 million children be living in poverty in this country when we have multi-billionaires in this country, when we have transnational corporations sending billions of dollars of profit overseas, where we have some of the biggest mineral resources on the planet? Why should we be worried about water security? Because we've privatised an essential element of living. Why should we have all these debates about energy affordability? Because we've allowed it to go into the hands of the private sector. And what distresses me, as I said, I'm not angry, I'm just distressed. What distresses me is that people have been subjected to such attacks verbally and mentally over the decades in this country, they accept this situation as the only way that this country can go forwards is to increase privatisation. Screw the poor. Screw Social Security beneficiaries. Screw people who do the honest thing. We accept that and we think, oh, you can't fight City Hall. You can't do anything about this. This is the way it is. Let's turn all this grief and all this anger into ourselves, eh? Onto ourselves. Let's find some chemical solution to our problem. Whether it's legal or illegal doesn't really matter. Maybe there's a chemical, maybe it's my fault. Maybe it's our fault that we find... It's not your fault you find yourself in this situation. You're a rat in a cage, and I'm a rat in a cage, peddling this wheel for all it's worth and going nowhere. Because we continue to accept that capitalism, the creation of private wealth through private investment is the only way that we can actually produce wealth and look after the interests of people in this country. And if there's one thing people should have understood over the last 40 years, is that it is exactly the polar opposite. Fine. 8% of the population are doing well. Fine. Fine. that own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication are doing very well. Fine. But what about the other 92%? What about the bulk of the population? What about all those people who can see the writing on the wall, whose life is so insecure, whether you're a self-funded retiree, somebody on a social security benefit, somebody working for a wage in an insecure environment where, you know, Unions have been legislated out of existence. We've allowed one media network to dominate our thinking on a daily basis and somehow thinking that the enemy is the person who's trying to do something about CO2 emissions, that the enemy is somebody who's trying to do something about misogyny or racism. The enemy is somebody who's trying to readdress the issue between us and Indigenous Australians, the unfinished business that exists, that somehow the enemy is our fellow human beings, the people around us, that somehow we're going to get, you know, nirvana if we, you know, attack the other. What an extraordinary situation we find ourselves in 2020. And the tragedy is this will continue until people start taking action and still they join together it doesn't matter how many committees there are out there how many it doesn't really matter at the end of the day ultimate political authority in a democratic society rests in the hands of an activated energized engaged public it should not rest in the hands of the parliament it should not rest in the hands of the bureaucracy it should not ha- rest in the hands of the state, and it should not rest in the hands of unaccountable corporations whose major responsibility is to create ever increasing profits for the ma- major shareholders, irrespective of the human, social, and environmental costs. You're listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast courtesy of the courtesy of, of the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. I've been hosting this program. Look, if you're interested in following up some of these issues. Leave a message on 0439 395 489, 0439 395 489. You can email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com or info at net. info at pipsy.net. Want to join public interest before corporate interest and strike back? Download the application for from Pipsi, pibci.net P I B C I dot net P I B C I dot net go to the webpage. Facebook pages, my personal Facebook page, Joseph Toscano. Other Facebook pages that may be of interest. Public housing everybody's business. Defend and extend public housing. And you can also write post office box twenty Parkville three oh five two. So don't don't let me hear you say that there's nothing we can do. That's the way it is. That's the way it will be. That's the language they want to hear. That's what they want to hear. They don't want to see that you have the capacity and the ability and the desire to put hope, the love child and desire and expectations. The desire for change and the expectation for change has your light on the hill. The ball's in your court. Not in my court. I do the best I can every week. It may not be enough but I do the best I can. YouTube channel, public interest before corporate interest. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist Will this week courtesy of the Community Radio Network. This program has been broadcast from the studios of Community Radio 3CR in Melbourne. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au That's 3cr.org.au Listen in to the anarchist world this week On your local community radio station Courtesy of the Community Radio Network Next week And if you've missed the program It is podcast Go to 3cr.org.au And remember Change comes when you are willing To make the effort To make that change the reality You can continue to be a cringing, carping Consumer, or you can become an active, engaged citizen. And that's what we need. Not customers and consumers. What we need in this country today is engaged citizens who are willing to make the effort to ensure that the situation we find ourselves in 2020 changes for the benefit of us, our children, our grandchildren, and their children. Thank you once again. Listen in next week to the Anarchist World This Week. Evil Minds at Plot Destruction. Sorcerer of Death Construction. An analysis you will never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10 a.m. every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist Wall this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia.